Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 20th episode of the In Search of Something Different podcast and imagine that I have somebody back. So we decided to do a second round of recording with Sean, whom you actually really liked. So I get a lot of feedback from you guys that you enjoyed our previous conversation. That's good to hear because actually we really like to speak to each other as well. What's more... I actually came up with the idea of having this podcast because I had a chat with him one day in Copangan and I was like, this is something we would need to record. So now he's back and we kind of did a continuation of the previous topics, which is the taboos that we are facing. We believe that there's a lot of things that us digital nomads don't talk about or like not necessarily something that's out there last time we also talked about getting old and commitment issues if you haven't checked that episode out go back and uh, listen to that one but uh, this time we are going to continue with all these taboos that we barely talk about for example or economical and environmental impact or also how many imposters we have in the community who do not have imposter syndrome but actually are imposters so yeah we are again facing uh, a little bit more critical part of our lifestyle and i hope that you're going to enjoy it as much as we did and as much as you did the previous episode (laughs) okay let's go welcome to the show about new ideas on how we live work and connect this is Bori Vik, your host, and in the following episode, together with my guests and listeners, we are again in search of something different. Welcome back on the show. I'm really happy that you are here again. Uh, this time we are recording this, by the way, in Lisbon. Previous one was in Copangan. And I have to say, Sean, although I did say this outside of the uh, of the recording but yours is one of the audience favorites so you're amazing amazing people loved (laughs) loved us talking about taboos and loved us talking about kind of struggles or maybe things that we don't face so we don't dare to say as uh, nomads including privilege yeah so dear listeners if you haven't listened to sean's previous episode then please stop this now and then go back so that you know the origin story we are not going to go for origin story and we're just going to start deep diving in everything that we usually talk about. So I brought one question that's raised, and that's, what do you think that we don't dare to face, us as nomads? I think one of the things that we don't like to face is our effect on the communities that host us <laughs> in terms of, I mean, like we are in Lisbon. I think the obvious thing to say here in Lisbon is that, you know, there's a big problem at the moment. And actually, I think for the last, I don't know, couple of years with the cost of living in Lisbon and the housing prices becoming virtually unattainable by locals that live here and then being pushed out of the, of the home cities. Nomads, I find we like to talk about the positive sides of mm. being a nomad and how enriching it is as, as a personal experience and journey. But whenever people are critical of how digital nomads affect the societies that host them. For example, yeah, Lisbon, driving up the rental prices. People, nomads tend to kind of shirk away from that and they don't really like to talk about that kind of stuff. Hmm. And so I feel like, you know, you know, I've been a nomad for 10 years. I think the, the lifestyle, the community is an amazing community and lifestyle to be involved in. 
But we do need to look at the other side of digital nomadism, mm. which is our effect on communities that are not as privileged as us. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that we should stop being nomads, uh, but it, it is at least to recognize these kind of negative consequences that we have on these communities and to at least be aware of them. And, and then the, the next step is how can we kind of reduce our negative impact and, and maximize our positive impact for everyone I would hope that most of us want want to live in a world where everyone is doing good, mm. where we try to make it, you know, we try to make win, 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 win yeah. uh, situations for everybody. So there needs to be also, I guess, a consideration of care. Like we need to care about other people mm. and not just see them or see the communities as a means to an end and the end being our own personal happiness. We try to make everyone happy basically is what I'm saying. Like that's gonna be easy. <laughs> so challenge, we yeah. talked about like the rising prices. Just so you know, uh, dear listeners, in Lisbon, it's right now it's one of the most expensive places to live in Europe, which was not the case five years ago. And we did talk about this particular aspect of being a nomad in the previous episode when we are gentrify a place where we go. We did the same with Copangan. Still, it's affordable, but I would say that in a few years it's going to happen to Copangan as well. And then we're going to go and find another place and we're going to do the same thing with the other papers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. I just wonder how to do that. So if I want to come here because there is a community here in Lisbon yeah. and then the, most of the people come here because there is a community. Yeah. Uh, so the masses bring more masses, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So people came here five years ago because they wanted to have like a cheaper option to yeah. live. The city is cute, by mm. the way. Local speak English. And, and therefore, uh, it's a European city. You can travel everywhere from here. So like, I see a lot of extra points for this, but at the same time, people came here and then we pushed the prices up. It's, and then I feel it's a little bit like when you're angry in a traffic jam because of the traffic jam, Mm -hmm. like, I guess that's what we are doing that. I don't know how to change this. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, someone, a local told me the other day, well, they told me about this meme, uh, the meme was. Lisbon is so expensive now, even digital nomads don't come here. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of nomads that don't want to come to Lisbon because now it's too expensive. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big kind of appeals of any potential nomad hotspot is the cost of living. Yeah. And rent is a huge part of that equation. Mm-hmm. And now the rent here is crazy. Like, I'm here for three weeks. I looked on Airbnb. For, oh, that's like not even a go-to for me. It's, I know, I know. But just yeah. to, just to, I think this is an interesting illustrative yeah. example, but I looked at the a three-week period in Lisbon versus renting a room or apartment for three weeks in Melbourne, where oh, I'm from Australia, goodness. and which city was more expensive to rent for three weeks? It Don't was Lisbon. Lisbon. <laughs> and Melbourne, like Australia is not a cheap country. It's <clears throat> no. re- quite expensive. Yeah. Um, but it was more expensive to rent somewhere in Lisbon than in Melbourne. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa, this is, this is really, really crazy. Mm. So let's, let's look at the rising rental prices. Mm. The way that I see it, there are three factors at play or three actors at play. There are the nomads and tourists. They are part of the problem. Uh, there are the local landlords that are trying to, you know, basically get as much rent for their properties as possible in sociological discourse, this is called the rent gap. Landlords are trying to close the rent gap and the rent gap is the price that they are receiving for their property versus what they could potentially get Mm -hmm. for that property. So then that's when they start to maybe try to target wealthier individuals Mm -hmm. and get them to pay a higher price because they want to kind of maximize the potential value of their property. Mm -hmm. And then the other 
actor is the government that allows people like us to come in and gives us favorable tax uh, regimes, mm. gives us, you know, the potential, you know, residency pathways, and then doesn't really do anything to look after their own citizens. And I think a government has a duty to look after its own citizens. It also has a duty to kind of, you know, play parts in helping the economy thrive and that means attracting people like us but they also need to at the same time attracting people like us look after their own people mm -hmm. and this is the situation that i think we find ourselves in where now i don't know what the solution could be um i was speaking to a, a local journalist the other day and she said actually it's not that there aren't enough houses or apartments in in lisbon she said that a lot of them are just empty yeah and not being put on the market. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a supply thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but it's good to acknowledge. And I think we can just move on from that one. That's, that's one thing that we don't face. So when you're do, conducting your interviews, I don't know how many people you interviewed, but in my friend circle, you interviewed mainly everybody, but it seems like you're making... interviewed like 80 or 90 oh my goodness. so far, yeah. So I think it's easy to say that we have this wonderful life and then we're just like being on beaches and then taking cruise ships now and you know going here and going there but there is some struggles and then i think when we are struggling with something it's more difficult to admit because it's a first world problem mm -hmm. it's not even a first world problem i think we are like above the first world problem like mm. these problems that we have it feels like really too much to complain because we have this not even a white privilege we have this crazy I don't know, wealth privilege that mm. we have. So what are the, the problems that people admit that they have? Uh, it's funny, like sometimes, occasionally people won't really talk about deeper kind of problems. They might, you know, when I ask people, you know, what do you struggle with or what do you find challenging about the lifestyle? Some people may say, oh, you know, yeah, sometimes the chair isn't comfortable. <laughs> sometimes. The most horrible. No. Yeah, the chair's uncomfortable. Oh, man, it's, it's crazy. I'm suffering. I'm suffering. But usually people talk about, you know, feeling lonely and socially disconnected. And this, I think, comes with the territory, so to speak, um, because if you are moving around or even if you're not moving around, you know, nomads tend to hang around other nomads. Mm -hmm. And there are many reasons for that. We share similar values. We have similar experiences that we can relate to. When you start hanging around other nomads, um, even if you're not the one moving, they're probably going to move. The, the connections that you make with another nomad, yeah. them being nomad means that, okay, they're going to be here for a while, but then they're going to leave. So there's this constant kind of search for connection and the constant having these connections dissolve around you and so this is you know an aspect of the lifestyle that i think is baked into the very nature of the lifestyle and it can be challenging mm -hmm. for people sometimes to always feel isolated and to always feel on the margins so that is i think one kind of um significant issue that people face it feels like it's we want to be individualistic and then we realize that individualistic means that you're alone yeah and and then we get scared and then we want to belong to a community yeah but this community is forever changing and consists yeah. of individualistic people yeah. so then it's way more difficult to i mean for connection yeah it's super easy to connect but to keep long-term connections 
I'm not saying that it's difficult. I have most of my friends are nomads and we keep relationships, but it's 80% online now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep them. Yeah. And, and that, you make a good point because, yeah, like when your friendship circle or social circle are nomads, then you have the potential or the, the possibility to meet up again in different parts mm-hmm. of the world so you can continue your relationships. It's not like, you know, once you leave or they leave, you're never going to see them again because you are able to move around. You can organize to meet each other. And, you know, individualism and to pursue what's good for the individual is, is you know, is it feels good to do what you want to do, to mm-hmm. feel empowered, to go after what you want. But then there's also, you know, the, the social side of us that wants to feel like we connect and we belong. And sometimes they conflict and, you know, I think the, the challenge of life or, you know, how we achieve some sense of well-being in life is to try to satisfy both of these, to try to satisfy the individual in us and to satisfy the social being within us. And that's, you know, by feeling like you're part of a community. And that's a challenge for any human being. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, just nomads, but I think nomads are kind of, we're so radically individualistic and our lifestyle being always on the move it makes us harder to kind of maybe balance these two competing drives. At the same time, I think it's these kinds of conditions of being able to be on the move all the time can create a really interesting kind of life, you know. Mm. So it's, you know, if you want to play the game and it's an amazing game to play, uh, the stakes are quite high. Uh, but for many people, I think they're worth it. And, you know, people that have stayed in the space for as long as I guess we have, like we've been doing it for mm-hmm. more than a couple of years, you know. Um, yeah, almost a decade for both of us. Almost think, a know? decade. We're obviously getting something out of it. And yeah. it's not to say that we haven't lost anything, but it's kind of like if you could think, well, it's like a rational calculus. It's like, okay, well, I'm gaining more than I'm losing. So it kind of makes sense to stay in, yeah? Uh, I would challenge that thought because recently I started to think and then Okay, the background story is that I, when I left Kopangan, I was like, this is the place where I always wanted to be. Mm. This is where I found everything that I was looking for. There's food, massages, nice beaches, electric music parties, uh, good internet, it's cheap, it's everything that I want. Now I just sold Kopangan. People don't go there. No, it's nice. <laughs> don't gentrify Kopangan more than it is right now. Anyways, and then I needed to come home because of business to Budapest. Mm. And I'm staying in Europe for a little bit now, but the, the plan was to go back. But then there is the cruise, which I love. And then it's one of my happy places. Uh, and no, it is my other happy place. So I kind of decided to go to the cruise. And then now there is this dilemma. And then, yeah, I know it's a really first world problem, but I kind of feel like even though I would feel that I want to go to Kopangan, I feel that there is a magnitude of the cruise, for example, that I would like to stay with the community. And I'm Mm. afraid I have this massive FOMO that now it's going to be better on the other side of the world, which is Brazil at this point, and then probably Buenos Aires, because there's so many people. So Mm. at this point, I would feel like I, as much as I thought I'm individualistic, I kind of just running after people. I'm running after the community. And as soon as I get there, they might go somewhere else because everybody's so individual. It's like a, it's like a pile of ants and then Mm. you try to catch them and they're just like everywhere. And yeah, I I guess it depends on, on how we define individualistic from what you've said, say, well, you know, um, being around people that you like and connect with allows you to be the individual that you are. 
like you feel supported to be who you are around mm-hmm. these people. So you're still able to be individualistic, even if you are kind of traveling for social reasons. You know what I mean? I think, and this is the resolution, I think, with individualism and, and belonging. It's like, yeah, the, the community can give you the support to be the individual that you are. Mm-hmm. So it can satisfy both of these kind of needs that we have. But it depends on what we mean by individualistic. I love this one, yeah. Uh, yeah. So there is this, there is this saying that uh, fitting in requires you to change to be able to fit in mm. and belonging requires you to mm. stay who you are in order to belong. And this mm. is exactly what you said, that mm. if you find a, the community where we belong, that's where you belong because you can stay who you are there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think especially with <clears throat> the nomad community because we are so individualistic and we are all kind of like i think we appreciate other people that are also individualistic and we it's not like we try to change them or make them think like us or behave like us maybe in fact we already do anyway we all kind of act the same and behave the same so there's no need for anyone to kind of Mm. clamp down on our individuality but i think when you're in a community of individuals i think it's more acceptable to be an individual Mm. Uh, and you know it's it's interesting to think okay how can we have a community of individuals that <laughs> you know what I mean like it, it seems like a, like a, a yeah, paradox almost. because it needs a little bit of commitment in order to yeah. in order to yeah. commit to people who are individualistic yeah. I think again we are going back a little bit to the commitment topic yeah. you see for example when you see Berlin mm. Berlin for me that was like the place where everybody said it was really interesting and it's a good example for this so everybody said like in Berlin you can be whoever you want mm. And, and then I said, yes, as long as you're edgy. Mm. So if you, I don't know, have you been to Berlin or have you? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So have, yeah. yeah, you can have like the huge punk hair or you can have like crazy outfits. You can wear, I don't know, everything that is crazy. Mm. I, I have this yellow coat. It's a really um, iconic coat, I would say. So everybody recognizes it's really rare. You don't really see it. And it's really yellow yeah. <laughs> and it's long and it's like, it's, it pumps out. Yeah. And it looks quite, quite elegant, I would say. Yeah. So I was wearing it and I felt so out of the whole place because I was not edgy. Mm. And I was like, yes, you can be whoever you want in mm. Berlin until you are yeah, somebody who's like an outcast. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's the same with Burning Man, actually. <laughs> There's a few people who dress normally, only a few. Like, everybody goes super crazy with, yeah. the, with the costumes. And they are usually the police. <laughs> <laughs> and they try to fit in by wearing jeans or something. <laughs> but it, it's, it's funny. It's like, if you want to be edgy, shouldn't that mean uh, that you do something different to what everyone else is doing? Exactly. But then but then if if, if you're doing what everyone else is doing, even whilst being edgy, then you're no longer really being edgy. I know, <laughs> you're I just know. being normal. We just found the problems of hipsters. Like that's like the biggest trauma of hipsters. Like they wanted to be different, but then everybody became different yeah. and then they just yeah. became the same. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's funny, like there is um, you know, in Copenhagen, you know, how there's that whole people try to look the part of being spiritual. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they wear the clothes, usually, you know, white clothes, or then they have the, you know, the, the, the hair and the, you know, the, the, the accessories. They're just trying to look the part. You know, there is this kind of facade to it where like underneath they may not, they may not be the most, oftentimes they're not the most spiritual kind of people. Mm. I mean, if we define a spiritual person as someone that's kind of, you know, that cares about the world and cares about the other human beings and treats them well and with respect. Oftentimes, some of the 
most spiritual looking people can be some of the nastiest people oh, yeah. that I've ever I met. Yeah. And there's that disconnect between what they present and who they are. So there's this question that we are always, always encountering, mm. what are you running away from? And I think what happens is that we are sometimes not really attuned who we are, but it's, it's true for most of the people as mm. well. At least we are yeah. looking for it. We are searching for it. Yeah. And yeah. I think what, what happens is that when we are, we are being asked the question, like, what are you running away from? Then usually people, I have, I don't know. Do you get this question? Yeah. I got it yesterday as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's, um, they are pathologizing movement away from home it's almost like it's normal and natural and healthy to stay in one place and to figure and to live your life in the one place and to move means that there's something wrong with with you like mm-hmm. you're not able to adapt to the local conditions um, there's a problem that you're running away from but I always say it's you know it's a running towards it's a running mm-hmm. towards the kind of life that you want to create mm-hmm. and what's wrong with that I mean the same movement from you know, let's say my example, my situation, leaving Australia to come to Europe, it isn't necessarily that I'm kind of running away from my life in Australia. I'm running towards a life that I want to create in Europe for many, many Mm. different reasons. So, you know, people that say that you're running away from something are kind of just assuming that that it's wrong or or abnormal to, to move when actually maybe movement is the healthiest thing you can do. I mean, we know exercise is great for you. And that's, <laughs> and that's like moving from that's, one place. That's moving. Yeah, but there, there is this in, um, in, in some of my readings that I'm doing for my research, there's like a, a sedentarist ontology or metaphysics. Sedentarism is, you know, the idea that we should stay in one place and it's normal to stay in one place and we should cultivate, you know, relationships in the one place. And there's also a nomadic metaphysics and ontology, which says that actually we should move and it's normal to move and normal to kind of explore the world and to kind of to have movement in your life. And from the sedentarist perspective, mobility and movement is abnormal or something that you should only do in small doses before returning to your sedentary lifestyle and through the nomadic metaphysical lens movement is normal and should be your normal everyday experience and staying in one place should be just something that you do from time to time Mm. i guess most people look at the world through a sedentary lens where we are told that it's normal to stay in one place and you can move sometimes, maybe, you know, when you go for a holiday or, you know, when you go to work or whatever, you come back home. It's always coming back to stay in one place. But for nomads and for other nomadic people or for people that kind of subscribe to the nomadic metaphysical viewpoint, it's completely normal and natural. And it's actually morally to be valued to move. Mm-hmm. It, there's a moral thing as well, like an ethical thing. Like we should move. Yeah, but what <laughs> do you mean like morally it's more acceptable? So the, the sedentarist view says that it's normal to stay in one spot so when you say something's normal you're kind of passing it a judgment you're saying we should stay in one spot it's our nature to move is is against our nature so it's immoral Mm -hmm. if you have the other the opposing point of view where you say it's normal to move and you're saying okay well yeah if it's normal to move we should honor that so there's an ethically you're saying yeah you should move because it's normal it's our nature People often justify actions based on, well, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we should do it. And that in, in by saying, of course, we should do it, you're allowing this behavior to continue because you're saying, hey, it's, it's our nature. 
So that's a moral thing. If you say no, you shouldn't go against. You should go against your nature. Then you're saying, okay, well, um, morally, I don't agree with that, and you should change. I mean, I guess it depends on everybody's different reality.、Mm. I think we cannot just say like you should move or you should. I think it's for some people it's enough if they just stay in one town for the、yeah. rest of their lives, and、yeah. for some people it's it's also completely fine to、yeah. always being on the move. I think the problem gets, and then I would say for for me, and I'm curious on your on your take on this、yeah. one. I'm a little bit afraid. So, a few years ago, I went to a, a therapy the first time, and when I told the, the therapist about my lifestyle.、Mm. She gave me a story. Like there is like this collection of kids' stories, and then they they use it as metaphors for patients in therapy, kind、mm. of like it's anyway. So the story was about the girl who had the red shoes, and it's a red dancing shoes,、mm. and、uh, it's a it's a magical dancing shoes in the beginning, and then she finds it somewhere in the forest. She puts it on. And then makes her dance and she's happy. But it turns out she never can take it off. Yeah.、Uh, so the moral of the story was the therapist trying to tell me that I might be addicted to trouble.、Mm. <laughs> and that was like eight years ago, like seven years ago. I actually get rid of that therapist, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> After a while, I'm with someone who's on board with my lifestyle <laughs> at this point. But it still haunts me a little bit. Like, will I ever be able to to stop doing this? Because just now, with this particular example, that I can't really decide whether or not. I can go with my original decision to go back to the place that I found、yeah. the first time home,、yeah. or keep going just because I don't know how to stay put anymore. Yeah. Well, isn't like one of the definitions of addiction such that you're doing something that's harming you and you can't stop? I think harming you or the people around you as well. Well,、huh? yeah, maybe both. So you're doing something that's. Yeah, harming you and and the people around you.、Mm-hmm. You're causing harm to them by continuing doing what you're doing.、Mm-hmm. This addictive behavior. My question to you would be: Do you feel like you're harming yourself and the people around you by by traveling? I guess it goes back to the same question that we are running after community all the time,、mm. and it's a little bit more difficult to find this. When you would stay put, it would be easier to to cultivate these relationships.、Mm. But you sometimes feel that maybe if I go. To Buenos Aires, I'm going to find other、mm. people who are more、uh, yeah. connected to me, and maybe I can be individualistic by staying in the same place, and then、yeah. just understanding that I have the freedom and I can still go if I want to. But、yeah. what if I would try to not go? Yeah, if if you try not to go, do you think that you would be happy with yourself and your life? No. So you'd be causing harm to yourself by staying. Yeah, I know, but maybe I'm causing harm by going as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, the, there is this argument that also, you know, traveling. I think if traveling or air travel was considered a country, it would be the seventh biggest polluter in the world.、Mm-hmm. So there is like an environmental.、Mm-hmm. You could say, okay, digital nomads or tourism is causing harm to the environment. Maybe that is enough for us to think, well, okay, I can't stop doing this traveling, and it's causing harm to the environment. Maybe I'm addicted. Mm. Know, but you know that's. I think that's a. I don't think that's a very good argument. Well, but, I don't. That's honestly this environmental thing. I'm going to bring on somebody on the show who's going to challenge these thoughts because I have a horrible feeling about like taking a cruise ship and then flying back to Budapest and then flying to Copenhagen、mm. only in one month.、Mm. This is just my、mm. December how to look.、Uh, so there is this part as well that I prefer、yeah. to stay in, like at、yeah. least in one land and yeah. yeah, feel not too good about it. Yeah, but there is like some challenging thoughts about like what can we do and then what can other people do about the environment? Because、yeah. what I saw in Asia is、yeah. 
we are like lighted ahead of thinking, even thinking about the environment. Mm. And that's a new thing because what I saw up until now in Lisbon, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there is no selective trash collection, which I thought that it's just... How is that possible? Where? In Lisbon? In Lisbon. Really? Okay. It's not, like, did you select... Like, the, the people that I'm staying with have uh, have dedicated bins to different kinds of Where trash. do they throw it? I, I don't know. <laughs> you we, see? we haven't got to that point yet. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't take out the trash. <laughs> no, not yet. No, no. Uh, yeah, Maybe no, they're going to ask They me, have hey. one bin. <laughs> and then you're going to be confused yeah, because yeah. Goes, they have one bin. Okay. Right? And I thought that we, we tackled this problem, by the way, by now. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. This is already Europe, but the, yeah, what yeah. I saw in, in Asia, there was I saw people throw their trash in the ocean just yeah and then then it's tackled so I think the problem is that it it starts to go with I understand that it's a problem but the majority of the world still does not and then the people who can talk about it we understand and we can feel bad about it and then we can go vegan and we can do all these things which I definitely don't say it's a bad thing that you do it yeah but at one point, I went to the <clears throat> went to the shopping center, or went to do my grocery shopping, and I'm on a calorie deficit now. I don't eat meat. I try to avoid plastic, and I was standing in the middle of the grocery store, and I couldn't make one purchase. Yeah. And then also needed to check the money as well. Yeah. So yeah. I had like four different things. And then there's also the fifth one, like, what do I actually want to eat? Like, <laughs> besides all the, all the restrictions that I put myself into so I need to let go some of them and now uh, I chose my body and I chose yeah. calorie deficit because I'm losing weight now but I think we are being put into a position that we are worrying about it but at the same time in Asia there's these huge companies that they bring their production there and they give all the tools to make all this technology that we are using, but they don't give them trash bins. You don't even know what's happening to the insane amount of yeah, trash that they're yeah, posing because yeah. they're making your iPhone there. Yeah. Well, yeah, like a lot of these companies go to places like Asia precisely because they don't have any laws about, um, you know, getting rid of your trash in an environmentally responsible mm-hmm. way. That's what makes production there cheap. It's because there is a lack of laws environmental laws or policies so that's yeah. why they go to those those countries it's not just yeah it's cheap labor it's we don't have to get rid of our trash in an environmentally sustainable way so yeah they go there precisely because they don't have any of these yeah. uh, these regulations if they did they probably will stop going there and go to somewhere else that allows them to pollute exactly because it's cheaper it's cheaper yeah. to to just throw your trash anywhere than it is to kind of dispose of it in an environmentally responsible way and it comes down to money i guess yeah and then here i am in lisbon staring at my dustbin and trying to figure out like (laughs) how is it possible that i can just like maybe find a place where i can throw it separately as i was nurtured yeah yeah that's crazy and and i made it to do that i don't know but yeah i just i just think people that um like getting back to the whole you know people criticizing nomads or travelers for their impact on the environment I just would like to think about how do they live their daily lives in ways that also are responsible or at least conscious of the environment because I feel like it's easy to kind of to villainize mm-hmm. someone or a community say oh they're they're doing all this bad stuff to the environment but then if you were to look at the consumption habits of that individual that'd be like okay just off the top of my head They'd be um, supporting fast fashion, which I think is an environmentally destructive oh, industry. That's horrible. It is horrible. Yeah. They would be maybe, you know, 
leaving their lights on while they go, you know, do yoga or whatever. No. All this other, but, but, <laughs> yeah, but they have a car, for example, yeah, what we don't have. Yeah. Or, uh, there are all these everyday practices that are also contributing to the environment. So all I'm saying is that it's like if you're going to kind of accuse or say, hey, you guys are wrong for doing this or you're destroying the environment, I would hope that they are also kind of looking at their own lives and mm-hmm. doing their part. You know, instead of just kind of because yeah, I feel like people like to blame people for stuff. I know it's so easy to kind of blame one group or one uh, community for destructive habits and not look at themselves. You know what else happened to me recently? Ever since we've talked, the first podcast episode that we recorded, I went to this conference, and they were for remote workers. I was specifically asked not to call ourselves digital nomads. Mm. And the funny thing is that they said it's it's a kind of icky uh, nowadays to use the word digital nomad. And it's getting like, there's a lot of like extra yeah. things uh, put into it. It's a little bit like how what happened to influencers. Now, I don't know yeah, if you realize yeah. everybody's a content creator now. <laughs> Nobody's influencer anymore. <laughs> Suddenly we just all changed like the title yeah. because it became like a swear word. And I think <laughs> these people were a little bit afraid that it's going to happen to to digital nomads as well. So we I wanna kind of use this word because that's how I'm meeting other people. So remote workers can work still from home and mm. uh, it's a valid thing. They mm. have the freedom, they might go traveling for two months mm. and then they go go back. But I don't have a home. Like I'm traveling again like Last time I had a home home was two years ago, two and a half years ago. And I don't have stuff. I'm a nomad. Yeah, and when yeah. I go to somewhere, I want to meet other like-minded people. Yeah. Therefore, I'm going to use this one. Yeah, because then sure. It's a different... I'm, I'm the same. It's like it, it, I never really liked the term per se because it does have some kind of negative connotations to it. But, you know, when you're meeting someone or you're trying to explain your lifestyle to someone, the easiest way to do that is to just say I'm a digital nomad because mm-hmm. it kind of sums up basically what you do. It's not like you should be stuck in that category or that you inherit all of the connotations that go along with that term because you've labeled yourself by that term. It doesn't mean you are that whatever that public image of the mm-hmm. nomad is but it's just an aid to communication where you can't you're able to express basically how you live your life to another human being exactly yeah. and it's also yeah it's, it's also a way for other people that live in these similar ways can connect on the common usage of this term so yeah like even with my research a lot of people don't identify they say oh i'm not really a digital nomad because there are, there are all these kinds of um images or ideas on how fast or how many countries you must travel to in particular passages of time in order to qualify as a digital nomad so someone would be like oh yeah i don't really travel enough to be a digital nomad i spend like six months a year here and six months there so there are those kind of factors as well and like even in the whole digital nomad space there's all this still discussion on what is a yeah. Digital nomad. I mean, I wish the, at this point, I just wish they would give us a license. <laughs> <laughs> then it would be easy. <laughs> they make us make an exam. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think many people, many people uh, say that. So I wanted to ask one thing mm. now because I'm struggling in this a little bit of making the decision. Mm. How do you make your decisions? And maybe in gen- we can go back a little bit in like general and uh, generalization. Yeah. So. What do you think that helps us making our decisions on where we're going to go next or 
what is going to be our, our next cool. step. Yeah. Two things I'll say to that. First of all, I'm in a pretty weird situation at the moment in terms of I don't really get to choose where I go so much anymore at the moment because I'm doing research on digital nomads. So mm. I don't choose where to go based on what where I want to go. I'm like, okay, well, what would be good for my research? So that's why I came to Lisbon. I wouldn't have come to Lisbon if it wasn't for this research because I find it very, very hard to justify paying more for rent here than in Melbourne. I mm. mean, part of the reason why I don't live in Australia is because it's expensive, yeah. you know? So, um, but in, in my, in my normal kind of pre PhD life and my post PhD life, you know, Gonzalo Hall, you know, the thought leader of the Portuguese digital nomad community, he has a really cool quote that I've used before. And he's like, digital nomads don't travel between places. They travel between communities. Mm -hmm. So I think community is a huge factor. Like you want to go somewhere where either you know people already that are going to be there, like maybe for you and your social circle, or you want to go somewhere where there's a vibrant nomad community of people that you could potentially meet. Yeah. Because, yeah, we do need social connection and that sense of belonging. So I think community or the potential for community is a factor. And cost of living. Uh, that's mm. that's a huge one. I mean, like most digital nomads, are, you'd say a middle class, uh, not really earning a lot of money, not earning little money. I, I don't know how many, what percentage of nomads earn how much money, but you know, there are. I think we both would know a lot of nomads that are probably only making, let's say, like a thousand bucks a month. Like, yeah, because you know, maybe probably they're, not living in Lisbon. Though. Yeah, they're not living. Yeah, <laughs> not living in Lisbon. But they're making a thousand dollars a month, and that you know is not necessarily because they're like receiving little wages for their work. They may only be working like you know, twenty hours a week doing work that's meaningful mm. to them. That uh, unfortunately, there does seem to be a correlation between how meaningful work is to you and a lack of financial reward. You it, think so? Yeah, it tends to be like that. Like unless you're really, really lucky or really, really good, you're not often paid a lot of money for stuff that you find really, really meaningful. And, and I'm saying, you know, unless working at a bank and playing the stock market is really, really meaningful to you, yeah, then that, that kind of job can, can yeah. give you a lot of wealth. But let's say you are a travel writer. Travel writers don't get paid a lot of money, but I do it because I love it. It's meaningful to yeah. me. I love it. Um, let's say if you're a graphic designer or, or an artist or a musician, these kinds of professions, you don't do them necessarily for the money. You mm. do them because you love to do it. And it's very, very difficult to sustain a life or a lifestyle on a artist's wage or salary or income. It's you know, but you do it for other reasons. So it does seem to be kind of this correlation. What do you, what do you think? About um, that? So what you're talking about is Ikigai. And uh, so Ikigai is something when you love what you do, you're good at it and you get paid for it. Mm. And uh, it's a Japanese word. Yes. If you put yeah. it to a guess. And yeah. I would say that I think many people start their nomad journey with like trying to find the Ikigai at the same time. Mm. So they think like that's how it's going to go down, that you're going to go traveling and at the same time you're going to do something amazing with your life because mm -hmm. now you have leadership and you're learning. You told me this word and I forgot mm -hmm. it. Like when you have... Agency? Agency, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they think that in like a month you can, you can actually do this right away. 
I kind of like what I do, but I, I'm really happy that I, I started to fall in love with the business, uh, making sense of mm. it. Like, so I'm teaching um, business coaching and life coaching. <laughs> like, I'm everybody, this is body vegan. <laughs> as, you <Sponsored> can see, <laughs> as you can see, I'm not really uh, monetizing this uh, still. But um, I love talking about business and I love talking about life. And it took a, a little bit of time. I'm doing this for 10 yeah. years now yeah. until I figured out how to, how to do this for. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, now that I think about it, like the people who earn shitload of money around me, they do work for clients, they do client work, and they have their adventure somewhere else. Yeah. I cannot do anything that I don't love. Yeah. I just freaking, I would feel that I betray myself. Yeah. So much. I don't think it would be, it would be possible yeah. for me. Yeah. It's no. just not. But there is one thing that I see in, in also in our community that happens a lot of times uh, to other people that they do. And... I might hurt a few feelings here, here but I, I'm going to brave and, and say what I have. <laughs> I think there is like this thing that we call the imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I feel that many people are imposters. In our yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, and I don't know. I want to speak up about this because now it feels that the imposter syndrome because we have and there's many incredible talented people who do have imposter syndrome yeah but the fact that we have now it can cover up the real freaking imposters yeah. who just come up with one day to another yeah they put together an online program yeah uh, or they put together something that they have nothing to yeah. do with yeah and at one point i think in our society in our culture nowadays personal development is getting super super important mm. Which means that people start paying money for it, which means there are going to be new people who make online courses on personal development without actually knowing the boundaries that they can cross with this. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's a lot of people selling the dream, mm -hmm. you know, like selling the dream of being a nomad and sort of, you know, living the dream. They're selling the dream. They're selling the dream to, to, to people that want to kind of live this kind of lifestyle and they may not have, you know, there was this someone that I um, that I met maybe a few years ago, and they wanted to talk to me about digital nomadism because they wanted to be a digital nomad. You know, they wanted to to join this uh, this community, this movement, or whatever whatever the hell it is. And so I sat down, I talked to them, I told them, you know, what it's like and some of the challenges, and you know, maybe offered some advice on how to get started, and you know. Um, Anyway, like uh, I think six months after I spoke to them, I saw on my LinkedIn that they were now offering coaching to <laughs> uh, how, to, how to be a digital nomad. They were, they were offering coaching to would-be nomads based on, I guess at that point, they had six months <laughs> of experience of being a nomad. But at least they remember how to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they felt like they were qualified enough now to impart their pearls of wisdom to a new generation of would-be nomads and i just felt like that was not right that's kind of being an imposter like yeah. if you're going to charge especially if you're going to charge money for your services um you should really you know know what you're talking about having said that um you know i do think also in order to learn off anybody they only need to know a little bit more than you yeah. So it's not to justify this whole thing, but, and also like, you know, sometimes it's, 
you know, there is this, I don't even know if this is true, but people, it seems to be true anecdotally, but people say that people don't value advice if it's free. Like once you make them pay, they will, they will somehow value in it, even if the content is the same. So there is this argument, okay, well, if someone's charging, you know, $500 to do this digital nomad course and the person organizing the course, running the course doesn't know what the hell they're doing, but they've sourced all the content, which is good content and put it into the course. Then if they were to charge $500 to someone and that person having paid $500 will take that advice seriously and work on it, then yeah, they can get what they want. So they may, the imposters out there may justify that. So you know what, I'm giving them the content. That's good content. And who cares if I haven't lived it myself yeah frankly let me sit my cocktail on the beach yeah i think uh, in many cases i'm not too um worried about the digital nomad coaches because i think that's not too much freaking science around this yeah i think everything that we do uh, can be figured out online i do have classes on how to become a digital nomad now they are free by the way (laughs) this is really that's fun (laughs) (laughs) um and, and then I have them start their businesses because I think what you need to become a digital nomad is need to have some sort of income. Yeah. So that's number one, have income. Number two, have a plane ticket. And then you can figure out the rest yeah. pretty much. Yeah. There's a few things that you need to do. Meanwhile. But like, honestly, if you don't have the money, then that's like, yeah. but anyways, what I wanted to say with more of the, the imposter stuff yeah. is we had uh, the business imposters with like, for example, the dropshipping courses like five years ago, six years mm. ago. I don't see them anymore. I don't, maybe yeah. I'm just like blocked all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but the, the whole dropshipping is a little bit over now. Yeah. Probably the new AI is going to be AI coaches and the AI uh, <laughs> things going to be the new one. Uh, like build your own business with only with AI and I'm going to show yeah. you how maybe we should do this like yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's still I think they are good ideas and then yeah. it's not over crossing any boundaries and if yeah, you pay yeah. them then you might as well actually just do it yeah uh, what I mean is more like using psychedelics led any kind of workshops for people who are not yeah definitely not therapists not like trip sitters not anything they just had a few encounters with any kind of psychedelics and then now yeah. they're offering this And I think that's the ugly part. And that's like something that if you see something like that, I highly recommend you to do your own research. And Agreed. Yeah, for sure. And we saw so many of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, like once you, once you delve into those kinds of, even, you know, I remember talking to someone who's a, um, a psychologist or psychiatrist and she was quite annoyed at a lot of, um, people calling themselves life coaches mm. or trauma coaches on a particular trauma without having the psychological education behind yeah. it or the experience behind it. And then, you know, people that have these kinds of issues or experiences, they they are in a vulnerable state mm. and you need to treat them in a way that is not going to trigger some kind of harm. Exactly. So, yeah, like once you get into – and psychedelics is also one of these very, very powerful domains of life where if you don't know what you're doing – you can cause a lot of harm to people um, yeah. in that state. So for sure, yeah. What I saw is that uh, this starts to be a thing. And I think these people usually don't know what's the difference between coaching somebody's mind and between coaching somebody's soul. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't think that you can coach people in a soul level. I think mm-hmm. there needs a lot of understanding. There's actually, we need a lot of uh, education around that, like understanding how trauma works. And we can create spaces where people can, that can for example, talk, but we cannot push people like turning on their, on the lights on, like this is your tra- trauma and that's how you need to, need to heal. And there's various activities that you can help and then over, uh, overcome. And I think mm. we are really experimental uh, mm. as nomads, definitely. So yeah. our community is like, yeah. I would say like 50% did ayahuasca, definitely, <laughs> or will. And then there's like team Vipassana and then you would go for 10 mm. So there's like a lot of, lot of things that you do in order to figure out what's going on in the inside. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the limit, right? I would. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think as well, I was just thinking before, like, Oftentimes, the, these people that call themselves trauma coaches have gone through the trauma themselves, yeah. and they've and they've they've figured out a way to resolve their own trauma. And I think you know their path through the trauma was probably very very personal and individualistic to them. Mm. And then they try to apply that same blueprint that worked for them for other people without maybe entertaining the idea that maybe other people will not respond to this particular modality Mm -hmm. or they won't achieve the same kind of results as you because they're different to you. So there needs to be an awareness, okay, just because it worked for me doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. And the sad thing is people that are traumatized or looking for help, if someone says, hey, I have the solution that you need to be healthy, it's very, very attractive and mm-hmm. they're going to probably take it. Yeah. And then, you know, whether or not that ends up just costing them a lot of money or costing them their soul or, or whatever, then that's another issue. But, yeah, I think people need to realize and maybe this is a coming back to this. Um, we were talking about individualism and the individual when your world is only about you and you think, oh, well, you know, I figured out the solution. Yeah, it must work for everyone else. There maybe needs to be an awareness that, hey, well, what worked for me won't necessarily work for other people. Mm. So there at least needs to be an awareness that, you know, there are other people that maybe respond differently. And, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I guess that's the same. I didn't even know how we came through the imposters. I just wanted to drop this. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the, the various points that we had. Yeah. yeah, this needed to be said yeah. and, and one point or another. So when are you going to uh, sit down and write your thesis? How are you doing this? I've got to start doing it ASAP. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like, you know, it's funny. Um, writing only gets done when you do it, when you start doing it. Yeah. And and it's only by starting the whole writing process that you can actually become clear on what you want to say anyway. And there is this temptation, at least like I'm technically in my data gathering phase where there is this temptation just to, you know, say, hey, I'm just going to wait till the year's over. I've collected all my data and then I will start writing. But I think you just need to start now. So if I think about the the project, it, it feels so overwhelming and I know I need to get started. And the sooner I start, the sooner I will finish. So I just need to keep that in mind. But probably, yeah, to answer your question, in, in a year and a half. Okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, what's going to happen after? Are you going to stay a nomad after this? I'll always be a nomad. Okay. A nomadic soul. <laughs> I was born this way. It would be cool to have my freedom back because this mm. has been the thing that uh, I, I find quite interesting, you know, by in researching this community. 
based on freedom that values freedom i've lost some of my own freedom in along the way it would be good to get my freedom back and be able to stay where i want to stay because i want to um, but i would like to maybe do like a postdoc which is like another two-year kind of research kind of working at a university type thing um, i would like to do that for a couple of years and then i don't know after that i mean who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Who knows what's, what's what's going to happen in six months, let alone I know. three and a half years for me. So, and what about you? What are your plans for the next? What's your five year plan? Who Where do you, you see yourself in five <laughs> years? Are you going to hire me for something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would you say is your biggest weakness? <laughs> I took your question so seriously. I was like, what? Um, I honestly, I think there's some kind of changes going through me and I need to be brave and then just go push a little bit my boundaries, my limitations. I think I get so used to being a digital nomad and having all this freedom mm. that um, I think at this point I lost purpose, if I want to be completely honest. Okay. So I used to be the, um, the main host of Nomad Cruise mm. and it gave me this possibility to not to think where I want to go. So it was always giving where I need to go. Okay. And so I didn't do it for three years. Now I'm back on the cruise this November, this December, and I'm going to host it again, which is, I'm super happy about this. And I absolutely ecstatic and looking forward to the whole thing. I love doing this. But at the same time, I just realized in the past three years that it was such a, such a calming thing to know, like, I'm just going to go wherever the cruise is going, because I'm just going to go with the, with the community. Yeah. And I'm always going to be like, I have purpose. I have the community yeah, to go with and now I, I question this and I want to figure out what I actually would do if, if it would be up to 100% on me on mm. what I'm going to go do next. Mm. So lately I have this feeling that I want to commit. Mm. I have this feeling that I'm really into committing to places a little bit more mm. than I did. So I, I'm in a little bit different place than you are, but I've yeah, been completely free in the past few years. Yeah, because I guess there's a lot of with freedom comes a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. So when no one's telling you what to do anymore and there are no external circumstances pushing you one way or the other, you need to choose and yeah. then you're responsible for that choice. Yeah. And yeah, that can be overwhelming for sure. Yeah, super tiring. So with freedom, I think there has to come some sort of purpose. And I think you don't actually realize at this point, I'm just going to talk from this high horse for you, that <laughs> you might not realize how lucky you are to have uh, freedom combined with purpose, because yeah. that's what you have right now yeah. with, with, your, yeah. with your work. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I stopped a little bit like having the purpose part, yeah. because now I know I'm capable of so many things. Yeah. I need to sit down and figure out what else I'm capable of and what else is possible. I, I push my boundaries out from one level to another in a way that I knew that I don't want to working in nine to five. Then I pushed it a little bit and then I became a backpacker. Mm. And then I realized I don't want to live in hostels mm. and I don't want to leave live cheap. So mm. I pushed my boundaries again. Mm. And I think a new point is here again somewhere yeah. to figure out what's my own reality, what I want to live. What could be your next purpose? What are some potential purposes that you could maybe work towards? I think what I'm really good at in, is making people feel understood and heard. And I think I hope I'm good in making people feel connected. 
So a cult leader, obviously. <laughs> Copper Nine's the perfect place for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think they get tax breaks down there. <laughs> I think I just say, hey, that's not a niche in Copper Nine, that's mm. I really need yeah, to. Yeah, the market's flooded. <laughs> Unfortunately, I yeah. And I think all I see is that I really want to do something in person. I really want to have people around me and uh, maybe less travel and maybe a little bit of a home would be nice. Yeah. And um, yeah, some sort of uh, connection and commitment. That sounds good. Yeah, that sounds I, fun, no? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right, like freedom without purpose is very, very unfulfilling. It's an empty shell, mm -hmm. I think. Um, freedom is a, is a, I think is a necessary condition to feeling kind of this sense of well-being, but it's not a sufficient condition. It's freedom in itself will not make you feel good. Especially like there is a common thing when you first travel, like if you're backpacking for a year, probably the first year is great because you have this freedom mm. and you, you never really had it before and you love that sense of freedom. Then after a year, at least it happened to me and a lot of people that I know, when you're traveling without any purpose anymore, traveling becomes your normal everyday routine and you don't really kind of appreciate it anymore. Mm. And I think that's why maybe I think a year into my first travels, that's when I started kind of traveling places to write about them in mm -hmm. like travel stories because that gave me a purpose. It gave me like something that I could go somewhere with and then come away from that with an experience. So I think, yeah, freedom without purpose is, yeah, unsatisfying, unfulfilling. Yeah. It's a bit like travel should not be the goal. It should be the tool Yeah, in yeah. order to accomplish Definitely. whatever you do. Means to an end. Mm -hmm. I've always said that digital nomadism is a means to an end. And the end is, I think, for a lot of us to find somewhere where we belong yeah. or what, somewhere that we feel like is our home or that allows us to be either the individuals that we are or to connect with people that we want to connect with. Mm -hmm. So it's a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. And that's why, you know, some people kind of, I think it confuses it. Being a digital nomad is kind of like a job title or a career. It's a way of life. It's a lifestyle, yeah. It's a lifestyle that enables you to fulfill many, many different ends. Like, you know, like I know someone that uh, is living in a particular country as a nomad, because they want to explore their ancestral roots. And so instead of, you know, having to maybe go to that place and getting a regular job or getting a, a visa, they're able to kind of sidestep all that because they can earn their own money, but they get to live in the place of their ancestors and they get to figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why yeah. people do it. Other people may travel to another place because, just because it's cheap because they have this business idea that, that, that they yeah. want to get off the ground. So mm -hmm. there are all these different ways, all these different ends. The means is the same, I guess, being a digital nomad, but even that is different in how you do it. But yeah, it's a means to an end. So yeah, I think freedom should allow you to go after. Yeah, freedom is a tool that you could use to pursue what is meaningful to mm -hmm. you, whatever that is. Yeah. Right. I think this is the end of this one. <laughs> we found the end of it. Yes. Although I do have a question out of this, but uh, this is going to yeah. help me invite you for our next session. Okay. okay. What is the question? Should we put it down on, on record now? Uh, no, I think we're going to okay. come off it in a, <laughs> okay. in a second. All right. Thank you so much for joining again. Thank and you so much. Yeah. Looking forward to the, the next, next one. one. <laughs> You are listening to the In Search of Something Different podcast, where we talk about new ways and ideas on how we live, work, and connect. 
If you like this episode, don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it helps in this world. And also, you can say hi on Instagram. You can find the show under in search of something dash different. I'll come back to you soon with the next episode, but until then, don't forget to stay curious.